Hey, hey, all right. Um, we're in a funny time, aren't we? Uh, this is um, COVID. I, I'll just be really honest. Sometimes it's very frustrating, right? We really want to all be together on Easter. It was fun to be able to do a couple services all together. And, uh, and now we have people who, uh, who aren't able to be with us this morning because, um, you know, they might They've come in contact with people who have potentially had COVID and uh, they've had to work because their, their jobs were shut down during the week because of COVID. And so now they have to work on the weekends. So this is just a really inconvenient time, isn't it? Right? That might be the understatement of the year. Inconvenient time. Uh, but I'm so glad that you were with us this morning. Um, I, I love that Jesus went after 12 people. And that he found those 12 people to be really important, that he would pour his life out into those. And in fact, when we see the life of Jesus, as the crowds gathered, he, he kind of ran away from the crowds. Not because he was scared of them, but because he knew that his, um, his best ministry was going to be done through 12 individuals and one of them who would betray them. So I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. So glad that you're watching. Um, online, and I can't wait for us to be together. Uh, I know that there's five different locations happening today. I think NDG is wrapping up right now, and uh, we're doing this. And then after this, I go to the South Shore and preach there, and then someone's preaching in the West Island, and then I'll wrap up the day preaching in Verdun. So God is doing uh, good stuff, uh, and just so excited to, for us to be able to be a part of that. So uh, announcements, a few things. Uh, number one is... Uh, there. Every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., uh, we pray together on Zoom. There is about 13 to 15 of us that, that do that on a regular basis, um, but it would be really great if about all 250 people that are part of Church 21 were there on, our, on that. It would be great to exercise like maximum limits on, on Zoom usage, and I know that it's hard sometimes to pray at 7 a.m. Uh, or to like even get up. Some of you are like, I didn't know 7 a.m. really existed. I thought that was fictional and a fable, but it's a real time where people are actually awake and doing stuff, and so every Wednesday morning, 7 a.m., uh, we, are, we are praying, and that will go into the next announcement, which is uh, this, that we're going to do a 24-7 uh, prayer that we're starting on Wednesday, uh, not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that, April 28th, I think. We're going to get all the information to you because basically there are half-hour blocks that we're asking all of Church 21 to consider signing up for half-hour blocks all the time, right? 24-7 for a week. And, um, and some of you are like, well, that's crazy. Why would you pray throughout the middle of the night? Well, I have seen some of your Facebook posts and the times that you post it. And it's like 3.30, 4.30 in the morning. Like you are our middle of the night prayer people. Like I'm already granting that. I'll be contacting you about that. Um, but we want to be asking God uh, to be doing a, a lot of stuff uh, over that week, especially rescuing uh, people here in, in our city to know who Jesus, who Jesus is. Uh, and I think that might be it for announcements. Yep, that's it. So next week we're starting in the book of Mark and we're gonna spend a really long time in the book of Mark. The book of Mark is a book in the New Testament, which is a second portion of the Bible. And it's all about the life of Jesus. And we're going to take, I think it's around 45 weeks. Um, I don't know what's happening out there. That's okay. Uh, we're gonna take about 45 weeks to go through the book of Mark. And we're going to be very, very close to, to Jesus and be walking with him. Uh, but this morning we're finishing our, our equip series, which is on the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And so we've been doing this. 
We're safe. We're in a safe place, I think. Um, <laughs> there's, there's some noise here. If you keep seeing me look to the side, we're all looking to the side here because we're not quite sure. They're building a big building, but we're not sure what's going on. I'm going to pretend it's not even happening, all right? I'm going to focus. I'm going to put on my like kids' ears, and I'm just going to go for it. Oh, yeah? Oh, it's super helpful. Really thankful. Uh, all, so my office is upstairs, just to give you perspective, and uh, I just hear that building being built all week long, right? So I'm like, hey, at least Sunday morning we won't have anything. No, no, no. Still work to be done apparently. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and then we're going to get going. We're going to be looking at five really important gifts this morning that the Lord has given to his church. And I think three of them are severely neglected and need to be uh, reignited, rediscovered. So excited about this. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you were with us. Thank you that you, um, you were not distracted uh, from your mission. Noises on the side of buildings do not distract you. Um, kids don't distract you. Instead, you, you invited kids closer to you. Um, COVID does not distract you. Live streams do not distract you. A few people gathered do not distract you from what you want to do. And so I'm really thankful that you are at work and that you're present with us. You're here and you're active uh, this morning. And I pray that you would give gifts to your church um, that, that she needs. And so we love you and we need you for everything. Amen. All right, so Jesus gave gifts to his church. We believe that Jesus came and he lived a life on our behalf, that Jesus didn't come as this little spirit floating around. He came in a body, that Jesus was fully God and yet became man. And he spent 30 plus years on this earth living a life that you and I can't live. Jesus as a good example is bad news for us because we can't live like him. We needed Jesus to live a perfect life for us on our behalf so that we could actually have a rescuer, what we would call a savior. And some of you watching this or here might not believe that. You might not believe that I, I didn't ask Jesus to rescue me. I didn't ask Jesus to save me. I didn't ask Jesus to do any of that. Well, we believe that Jesus is a creator as well, that he made everything and that he made us to be in relationship with him primarily. He made us for all kinds of things, but the primary purpose is to know him and be known by him. And he understands that our hearts are, are bent, our, our, our beings, we're, we're broken. We don't naturally wake up in the morning yawning and yearning for, for Jesus above everything else, Right? We, we reach for our phones. We think about our to-do list. We, we are, are dreading certain things that we have to walk into. And our hearts don't quickly make it to Jesus often. And he knows that. And so Jesus came and, and he died in our place. He paid a penalty that you and I should have to pay so that we could gain entrance into a relationship with God. But you and I can't pay a high enough price for that. It would take a perfect life and none of us have that to put down. So Jesus did that on our behalf and then we celebrated on Easter that Jesus rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life with him and real relationship with him, but not just later, but also now. And that we believe that Jesus is here with us and not only did he give us what we would call salvation, salvation is not a salvation army where you go and buy you know, cheaper clothes. Salvation is, is rescue. It's that we've been rescued from something to something. We've been rescued from sin and rescued to Jesus. But he also gave us his spirit. Jesus took his spirit and he put, us, put him into us. Listen to Ephesians 4. If you have a Bible, you can take it out. It'd be a great time. You take out your phone. You can flip to or scroll to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll spend all our time in this chapter. It's a book in the New Testament. It's a letter from a guy named Paul to a church at Ephesus. 
and we get to benefit from it. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 7, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That grace was given to each one of us. That means that every single person who has been rescued by Jesus has been given a gift by him. You are not giftless. And those gifts that you've been given aren't just for you. They're not to like put away in your closet. They're to take out and utilize for the good of the people of God. This is one of the tragic things of COVID is that we've all been sitting in living rooms, right? Doing things separate when, when God has made us to be together. And not just together like on a Sunday morning. This is not where all the gifts get worked out. But to be together inside of homes, inside of neighborhoods, uh, enjoying vacations, doing things with one another, right? that God made us for one another. And these gifts, these gifts are intended to build up the body, which is the church. Listen to Ephesians 4 verse 16. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament. I love that. We can't get into all this, but ligaments. How often are you like, oh Lord, thank you for the ligaments in my leg. They're so amazing, right? We don't think about that stuff often. And yet, Christ is saying that in my body, there are ligaments that I'm paying attention to to make sure that the body is moving and active in the way that I intend it to. It promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. So every gift is essential. Every gift is important, all right? But there are some gifts, there are some gifts that are specifically for equipping others. So it's not just, I have this gift to give to you hope. Or it's not this gift that I have to give to you, Isaiah, or vice versa. But there's this gift that is solely for equipping and training and building up the church. Listen to Ephesians 4, verse 12. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. These gifts are specifically to help you do the work of ministry. And we'll get to that in a little bit. All right? And these gifts are needed, this is all my preamble, right? These gifts are needed for maturity and unity. You cannot live a solo, personal life with Jesus. You can't, like, read the New Testament and, and try and work that out. You were made for a body, not just your body. In verse 13 and 14, until we all reach a unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. These gifts that we're going to talk about are needed for the maturity and unity of the church. If we want to see the church grow in depth and in width, we need these gifts. And historically, we, we separated three of these gifts just out of the church altogether. Definitely two of them because they make us uncomfortable and we're not sure what to do with, with their name even. Um, but usually three of these gifts have been outside of the church. And I think that these are gifts that have to be rediscovered for the health of the church. And so these are the gifts that we're going to look at today. And it's found in Ephesians 4.11. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. So what we're going to do is we're going to, this, the acronym is APEST, all right? So if you hear me say APEST, it's these five gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. We're defining our terms. But basically what we're going to do is we're going to look at each one of these briefly and how we're going to use these in our city. 
So before I get going on, on the apostle, I want you to be reminded that this is Jesus' idea, it's not ours. This isn't some neat scheme that we're putting together. Uh, this is Jesus's that we, we've mined out in this text and we want to put to use in this city for the good of the gospel and for the good of, of Montreal. So we'll start with apostle. And that makes people nervous. When you start to talk about apostle, it makes people very nervous. Uh, my background is, is Baptist. And you, some of you know what that means. Some of you are like, I have no idea what that means. Doesn't matter. Um, they're very uncomfortable with this word apostle, Okay. Because there are certain people who have, are walking around the world saying, I am apostle so-and-so. And that just doesn't seem to be right because there were only 12, maybe 13 apostles at most. And to be an apostle meant that you saw the resurrected Jesus, right? And that you were chosen by him to represent him in a very specific way. Some of the apostles wrote scripture. We're not talking about the office of the apostle. That's done. Office of the apostle is over. Right? We're talking about the gift of the apostle. And the, this gift, um, the, the word is apostolos, which means sent one. Or we get our modern day word missionary from this, from this term. So if you're more comfortable with missionary, fine. But you should be more comfortable with the real term, which is apostle. All right? And what is the apostle to do? So I'm just going to kind of like shoot a bunch of things at you in terms of what the apostle does. Uh, first thing is that the apostle is sent to lay a foundation for the expansion of the church. So if you want to expand something in the city, you would send an, an architect, maybe a surveyor to look at the land to see what's possible and to build some plans of what could happen. Well, that's kind of what an apostle is that they like to go into places where Christ is not yet named or known or where his presence isn't yet experienced by people and they want to start something so that, um, so you, that Jesus is going to be named and known in that place. So uh, apostles are going to want to go in and lay good gospel DNA, good gospel foundation. Uh, apostles are usually like a, a jack of all trades. Nehemiah, what's that thing you have, a multi-tool? Yeah, so a multi-tool is kind of like, it's not going to help you do anything significant, but it's going to help you do a lot of little things. And it's this thing with like 30 different like knives and screwdrivers and corkscrews and whatever. But like you couldn't build a house with it, but you could get, I, I don't know, like you could go camping with it, right? Yeah, you could buy, build a spear. That's right, because that's important in Montreal, right? If the zombie apocalypse happens, having spears is going to be absolutely essential. But the apostles like, like the multi-tool, a, a jack of all trades, yet usually expert in none. So they're able to go and, and to lay this gospel foundation um, so that the gospel can advance. Apostles usually see open doors where everyone else sees like a brick wall. Like there's no way that anything could happen there. And that apostolic calling is like, yeah, but something needs to happen there. And we need to get into that place with the gospel. And they're usually the ones like running through the jungle with the machete, right? Trying to get, not, not to hurt people, but to like mow down the grass, right? But to like get into a, a new place where the gospel can go and thrive. And as apostles are, are building out these new places, they're creating simple and reproducible methods to reach people, multiply disciples, multiply leaders, and plant new churches, right? Apostles are, are not focused and fixated on filling up rooms and buildings. They want to fill up cities, right, with the good news of who Jesus, they want to fill up rural villages and tribes and, and towns and homes with the goodness of who Jesus is. Apostles typically inspire, equip, and then move on. 
They're not trying to like build a permanent home in that place often. But as you see with the Apostle Paul, as he would plant something, he would, he would come back or, or send letters or send communication to find out what was going on in that place. So modern day apostles think church planter, think movement leader, think uh, maybe a gospel entrepreneur. I know a lot of people that start businesses so that they can reach people in that neighborhood with the gospel. They don't care about the bottom line, right? Financially, they just want to be there so that they can reach people with the gospel. And they know that having a church there won't be the first way to do it. Um, Apostles also are typically frustrated by being told how to do it. You're going to move into this place and this is how you do it. Apostles want to discover how, how do we do it here with these people at this time in this way. They're not looking to copy and paste something that's been done somewhere else into this scenario. They're looking to see, Spirit, what is it that you have for this time, this place, these people? Now, uh, working with apostles is frustrating. Really, very frustrating. Because apostles typically live in the future. They're always thinking about like, what's next? What's, what's the new thing? It's like, yeah, but this thing hasn't even happened yet. It's like, yeah, yeah, but it will. Like there's a new place that we're going to have to move and look toward. And so it's frustrating because you can feel that apostles are almost distant, right? That they're, they're not really here with us. Um, they're also agitators in the church. Um, they can oftentimes cause a lot of frustration because they really want to see something um, start in significant power of the Spirit of God, and, uh, and, and it's not happening. And, and so they're, it, they're frustrated and agitated, and sometimes they don't know what to do with that. Um, they can see people in, in black and white, and I don't mean like color of our skin. It's like, are you a, a leader or not? Are you a good investment of my time or a waste of my time? Right? It's like, that doesn't sound very like Jesus-like and loving. I know, it's a blind spot that they can have. Also, they can trust in methods. If they had planted a church before, they think they could just copy and paste the same thing here. They, they're tapped in with their methods more than tapped in to Christ. But apostles, apostles will continually push the church into what's new. So we need them. We need them. Without them, we can become very stagnant and we can just become all about us. So the next gift is, is profit prophet. I know I'm blasting through these kind of quickly, um, but I want you to give like, get an overall feel. I think over the next few years, you'll get a lot of experience with these different gifts. The prophet. We're not talking about an Old Testament prophet. We're not talking about Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or anyone like that. Those are examples of Old Testament prophets. This isn't an office that someone holds. It's really a gift. So we talked about the prophetic gifting a few weeks ago. So imagine the prophetic gifting with an equipping um, application, right? That it's not just that you're going to hear from the Lord and learn to interpret and and apply, but you're also going to help others be doing that. And that's kind of your primary gifting. So this gift helps the church hear and obey the voice of the Lord. Prophets are exciting, they're really exciting to have around. They have this, this zeal. They're really excited about things that they want to change. They're kind of like the apostle in that way. They want to see change and they want to see it yesterday, right? Which also makes them frustrating and we'll get to them in just a minute. They want to see change, not just an intellectual understanding and awareness. Like a prophet would hear uh, my sermon right now and they're like, okay, this is good that you're helping us understand more, but what are we going to do about it? They're like, They're kind of checking out. They've read the book. They're waiting about how this is going to actually get applied. They want to act on the word now. 
Like right now, let's go and do something about it. Right, they're antsy. And we need prophets. We need prophet in, in, prophets inside of the church as we learn God's voice, as we learn how to interpret God's voice, as we learn how to act on what God is saying. We need them. Uh, just this week, I know of someone that spent time um, with, with a prophet learning how to hear from God and how to apply it to their life. Very, very helpful to have prophets in the church. And I'm not talking about like spooky prophet, like I'm going to call prophet John and he's going to like tell me the future or something. Not that, all right? Not talking about that spooky, spooky stuff. But many prophets inside of the church find themselves rejected and isolated from the church. You know, lots of prophets who've just walked away from the mainstream church. Now, some of it's them, and I'll get to that in a second, but some of it's actually the church because there's been a prophetic word brought to the church by the prophet saying, we need to change in these ways. These things are out of line. And the church says, no, no, we're not gonna do that. We're unwilling to listen to that thing. And so prophets feel rejected over and over and over. And so what do they do? They end up just leaving the church. And they go and end up joining some sort of prophet parachurch ministry, which isn't necessarily the most helpful place for them to be either. But some of it has to do with the prophet. Some of it isn't just the church. Some of it's them. Because this isn't a gift that just allows you to be a jerk. Right? In verse 15 of Ephesians 4, but speaking the truth in love, Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Some prophets feel something so deeply from the Lord that they feel like they need to like punch people in the throat with it. And it's like, and they think it's loving, but it's not, right? It's like, I love you so much that I'm going to give you this bruise right here. It's like, that's not not helping the church to grow up. It's not helping the people that need a little bit more patience and time to come around understanding, right? And so, so many prophets just say whatever on their, is on their mind because it's authentic. It's like, that's not authentic, right? Part of being a mature prophet is understanding your audience, understanding who needs to, to hear this and how they need to hear this. Some of the blind spots of a prophet is that their tone isn't always helpful. They can come in very judgy and, and critical. And so I, I've been... Here in the city, planting churches, pastoring for uh, about 10 years now. And I've, I've come into contact with, with certain prophets. And I've come to get over some of that like initial, oh, that's hard, right? Because I want to hear what they actually have to say. But their tone at first, when they're immature, can be very critical and judgmental. A zeal that they have can lead to a lack of patience with people. And prophets can let critical actually lead them into cynicism. Prophets can easily be cynical about the church and about life. But prophets, we need them. We need them. Here's why. They will continually push and equip us to hear from God and obey him. We need to help prophets mature and and get shepherds alongside of them, which we'll get to in just a second. The third gift is that of the evangelist. Did you know there's no gift of evangelism in the New Testament? It's not there. Evangelism is, is sharing the good news of who Jesus is, the evangel, right? The, the gospel of what Jesus has done. There's no gift of evangelism. There's only the gift of the evangelist. Why is that? Well, because we're all supposed to share the good news. 
We're all supposed to be sharing who Jesus is. We're all supposed to be about the work of evangelism. What the evangelist does is he equips or she equips others to be able to do this work more effectively. This is an equipping gift. And if you've ever met an evangelist, you would know that they are driven, right? Some of them seem like prophets too, but they are driven by a love for Jesus to share about him and equip others to do the same. So evangelists are driven to love Jesus and help others um, share who he is. Evangelists genuinely love speaking about Jesus. For some of us, speaking about Jesus, it's, it's this exercise that we have to go through. Like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to like this. I'm supposed to do this. Um, what am I supposed to say? But for evangelists, instead of sharing facts, it's like they're talking about their friend. It's like me describing my wife just to you. I'm not going to be like, well, she's five one and a half, five two on a really good day. And, you know, her, her head size is about this big and she wears this size shoes. It's like, do you know anything about her, <laughs> right? That's not typically how we describe people. And yet that's sometimes how we describe Jesus to people. It's like we tell them facts. And yet evangelists help us to be able to share Jesus as our friend. He wants to be our friend. He's not, he's not only our rescuer and our savior, but he's our friend. And evangelists are, are obsessed with this, with getting others to understand how to do this. Evangelists, they're not only found hanging out with non-Christians, people who don't yet know or follow Jesus, but they're helping the church understand how to share their life and the gospel with others as well. And if, if you know an evangelist, um, you probably know that they're very attractive to people. I don't mean that like necessarily they're physically attractive, but they, they attract people to themselves and, and to Christ. When we first started our church, we had a guy named Dan, who now lives in Vancouver, a good friend. And uh, we were meeting in St. Henry and uh, this, this little, like tiny, tiny room. We could fit, I don't know, 80 people in that room. And, uh, and Dan would show up late all the time. And I'm like, Dan, why are you always late? Um, but I, I knew I was always late. He lived in the dorm and on his way out of the dorm from his room to St. Henry, he would find like 10 people that he's like, hey, uh, I'm going to church. Do you want to come with me? And they're like, sure. Somehow he's convincing people to go to this church gathering that they have to get on the metro and pay for as students. And they would all show up and they like walk right to the front. He like makes them sit in the front row. But like, that's what evangelists do. Like that's one of the things, not all evangelists, but some of them, they're attracting people toward Jesus. But something that the evangelists can easily forget is that they can't just do all the work themselves. They have to be creating, uh, equipping and apprenticing opportunities for others to be able to do this work. So some of the danger of the evangelists is, is this, that they just do the work themselves and they miss equipping. That for some of them, their methods become sacred. They become the only way to, to be able to work. So maybe they've done uh, Relevant McGill. The only way to reach people is through these, these classes by hearing uh, conversations around this. Or maybe they do door-to-door and they go door-to-door and talk to people about Jesus. And that's the only way that you can do that, right? For some evangelists, it becomes very sacred to them. And that's all they can see. And also, I worked with an evangelist one time and I heard him get, he was furious at the church because he said, I'm out here saving people, right? That's not, that's not completely true either, is it? But I'm out here like doing the work of evangelism and then I bring the people back to the church and the church isn't doing anything with them. And it's like, brother, are you really part of the church? You know, are, are you fully integrated into what the church is doing or are you just expecting the church to get on board with your strategy? 
This is where some of the parachurch stuff is, is really wonderful and think that think the parachurch ministries can work well with the local churches, especially around evangelism, but they have to be completely together. All right, shepherd, almost done with these, and then we'll apply how, how these all work together. Shepherd, um, we don't have shepherds around here, right? Do you know of any? Have you ever met a shepherd, like a real-life shepherd? Yeah, like we don't even know what they do, right? No idea. What's that? Yeah, that's right. We did, we did meet some in India. Um, but shepherds, like they care about their sheep, right? Not rocket science. Um, it's really hard work. It's really hard work to bring a group of animals. We got a dog in December, right? Let me just like take a, a rabbit trail for a second. We got a dog in December. Training a dog is stinking hard, like so hard. My respect for people who can like do things with their fingers and make their dogs do things. Like to get our dog to like sit and not poop in our house, it's like, man, this is difficult, right? So, so hard. And yet shepherds are bringing like hundreds, sometimes thousands of sheep along, like getting them to move according to their voice. And God has gifted people in the church to be shepherds. And these shepherds have a burden for a specific people but they're also mature enough to equip others to carry that concern as well. The shepherd isn't trying to do all the work himself or herself. They're trying to equip other people to, to take part in that, the caring effort for the church. Real shepherds aren't driven by a title. They're not weird being like, oh, hey, Jack. Uh, no, 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 that's Pastor Jack. Oh, okay, Pastor Jack. You know, like, so sorry. Not driven by titles. They're not driven by recognition. They, they don't care about any of that. They care most about you. They care most about how you're doing, what's going on in your life. How are you understanding Jesus and following him? How are things going? Like they're, they're deeply burdened with a care for you. And good shepherds, equipping shepherds, they're equipping others to be able to establish environments where holistic health can be pursued. And it's not just about your spiritual life, but also your, your emotional life and physical life. And your, your, if you're married, your marriage, or if you're single, you're single. They're, they're really caring for you at every level. But here's the thing. Shepherds must multiply themselves into other shepherds. They can't do it alone. When you hear about a pastor really getting burnt out, it's probably because they're trying to care for people all by themselves. That they've forgotten about equipping other people to do the work with them. But part of the hard thing is to find other shepherds because if you're a good shepherd, you really care about your, your church, the people that you're connected to. And it's hard to get you to leave that place to care about new people, right? So drafting shepherds from other places is really difficult. So blind spots of shepherds. Shepherds can care so much about like the people in this room that we forget about the people outside of this room. We forget that there's a city of like four-ish million people right, out there in the greater Montreal area that still need to know about Jesus. And they get hyper-focused on us. Also, shepherds can avoid tasks that get done that need to get done because of people, right? I know uh, a pastor that recently was uh, doing a wedding. Now in Quebec, you have to do really weird things. Like if someone's gonna get married in this room, you have to stick a piece of paper on the back wall 21 days in advance. And if you don't do that, then the marriage might not count. Really strange. And you have to say weird things about Quebec in the middle of the ceremony. Like, it's just so bizarre. It's the most unromantic buzzkill in that moment. Um, but anyway, 
So this pastor, he's like hyper-focused on people and he forgets to put up the 21-day notice for his thing. And government of Quebec tells him the marriage counts, but next time you might not be able to do the, a wedding because you're no longer trusted as a whatever. This is what shepherds do. They forget about tasks. They forget about the 21-day things. They care more about the couple that's going to get married, right? Um, and finally, a blind spot is burning out trying to solve everyone's problems. So the last one is teachers. Teachers. Verse 14. Teachers are so important. Listen to this. Then they will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Do you know people are always out to get you? People want your money. People want your time. People want your devotion. People want your worship. Like as soon as you leave today, you're going to be marketed towards something. Someone is trying to get you into, you know, their lane. They're trying to get you into their belief all the time. And God gives teachers to the church to help solidify the church, to root us and anchor us in who Jesus is and what he's done. And we as the church, we really won't grow to full maturity without equipping people and and helping others learn about what is actually true. A good teacher, an equipping teacher, they they don't want the whole thing to stop with them. Good teachers want exponential reach for the people who are part of the church, for their students. They want to be equipping other teachers. They're not satisfied to be the ones that are running the class. Oh, my class is full. It can't go on. It's like, no, no, no. We need to equip other people to be able to run the class, to do the thing. Gifted teachers create ways to learn that are reproducible. Imagine Jesus with his disciples. What did Jesus do? He spent lots of time with them. He told them stories that they were able to remember, and as they were going along later on, they were able to repeat. The Gospels weren't written until much later on, after Jesus had had resurrected and ascended, and they still remembered his stories, right? This is what gifted teachers do. They equip people to be able to teach as they are going along. And teachers are necessary because they're guardians of, of doctrine for the church. So in some some teaching is swirling out there in, in the culture or in Christendom. Teachers are like, let's go back to the word. Let's go back to the word of God. Let's find out. Let's study the Hebrew. Let's study the Greek. Let's look at church history. Let's do all this stuff that a lot of us are like, I'm not that interested in doing that, right? Teachers are going to do that uh, on our behalf and then equip us to help us understand this stuff. Now, blind spots of the teachers. Churches can be educated beyond obedience. Okay, hear that again. Churches can be educated beyond obedience. When the teacher's in charge, they love to fill our heads and hearts with lots of knowledge. But we can end up being like a bobblehead. You know, the bobbleheads that just kind of like bounce around all the time. We can become so full of knowledge that, that we're not actually obeying it. We learn all this stuff and then we never actually act it out or work it out. Uh, A blind spot of the teacher can be that it's all about information, not transformation. I said what I needed to say, but I didn't help you live it out, right? And this is one of the dangers of the teacher. And, oh man, teachers are so fun to be with, right? I love them, but they often give me like a huge reading list. They're like, oh, if you just read these 14 books like me, uh, like I did like in the past three days, then you'll be able to know I'm like, oh my goodness, dude can you just like write me a book summary? Can you help me out? Like I don't have time to read 14 books in three days. But they think, they can think that others should study, read, and research as much as them. 
But the reason why they do it is because God has gifted them and, and given them a, a, an enjoyment in that. He hasn't given that to me. So these are the five gifts that God has given to his church to equip us for the work of ministry. Why go through all these gifts? Why spend a whole morning talking about these, these gifts, this, this information? Well, four reasons, and then we'll enter into a time of worshiping the God who gave us these gifts. Number one, these gifts exist to help you. These gifts exist to help you and me. Listen to verse 12, right? It ends with this. He gave some to be all these things, and then equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. It's us. It's the church that do the work of ministry. If, if you think that there's a, a divide between clergy and laity, right? That's a pretty common thing. That there's clergy and then there's lay people. People who are in charge of the church and those people who are in the church. That's just false. That, that's a lie that's been paralyzing the church for hundreds of years. That we are all part of the church together. That we all need one another. And we all do the work of the ministry together. As you go to work tomorrow, as you leave here and go home, as you go into your neighborhood, you're called to do the work of the ministry. These gifts are given to you and to me so that we can be equipped for ministry in normal life. These gifts, um, Jess, who I think she just went out to uh, hang out with my youngest daughter, uh, she started watching uh, this show called New Amsterdam. And, uh, and I watched the first episode, and it's about this, this doctor, this medical director who takes over a hospital. And he goes around to all the staff and he says, how can I serve you? That's his leading question. How can I serve you? That's what these gifts are. These gifts are not come in and serve me. It's how can I serve you, right? That's what these gifts exist for. Secondly, these gifts keep us in line with God's heart to saturate the world with his good news. Any of these gifts on their own can't fully express God's mission, right? If you're, if you're led by, by a church that's led by an, an evangelist, you're only going to hear about opportunities to reach people who don't yet know Jesus. If you're led by a church, um, or if you're, your church is led by just a shepherd, then you're just going to be talking about like the 20, 30 people forever that, that make up the church. And we're not really going to talk about it out there because we have all these internal cares and desires, which both of those are important, right? And this is why we need all five of these together. So that we're thinking about how do we care for the church that's here? How do we grow the church that's here? And how do we expand the church into places where the church isn't yet? My, my gifting uh, is apostolic. My gifting would destroy the church. If, if I was the only one here in the church, I, I would destroy it. Because I think constantly about what's next. Uh, right now we're helping people to start a church, a house church in Maine. Uh, my wife and I, we're helping a couple start a church in Saskatchewan. We're helping people to, uh, to consider starting a church in Nova Scotia. I lead a church planning network across Canada. Uh, we've just broken our, our church into five locations, right? Like if, if I'm the one that's constantly doing it, I'm constantly thinking about like what's next, what's new. I need other people around me. It's like, okay, do I like move on? We'll take care of people here now right? We will shepherd them. We'll care for them. We'll help them get on with the work of evangelism. Um, but me alone is, is not good. And I know that. 
Uh, churches have tended, though, to value shepherds and teachers above the ape gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, because those are the ones that make us, like, uncomfortable. Those are the gifts that are like, oh, no, we have to move. We have to get going. We have to get beyond our little basement, right? It's like, ah, oh, but I like the basement. You know, I like these weird greenish-black curtain things. I like, oh, it makes me feel so good. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but there's more to do, right? This mission has to go out. We like the shepherds and the teachers because they keep us they keep us focused here, and we can control it. When it's shepherds and teachers that are leading us, we, we think we can control it a little bit better. But it's just not the case. So really, um, we need to reignite the ape <laughs> of the apest. We need to reignite and rediscover the apostle, prophet, and evangelist. Why go through all these gifts? Third reason is you might have one of these gifts. You might have one of these gifts. Uh, Paul, in, a fee, in uh, Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas were sitting with this group of men. They were praying and fasting. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God says, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. He had a very apostolic call for these two men on their lives and was sending them from this gathering to go and do a brand new work. Maybe you came into this. Maybe you're sitting at home, wherever you are, and you're like, here's what I do inside of the church. And this morning, the Spirit says, no, no, no. Now this is what you're going to do. I'm giving you this, this awakening, this, this igniting to what I want for you to be doing in the city. So my question for you is, as you heard these gifts described, was there, was there a burning in you? I remember hearing the, that apostolic gifting spoken about for the first time. And it was like, that's, that's me. My wife loves Enneagram. Right, making eye contact as I say this. Uh, very into Enneagram. It's been very helpful to understand uh, her explain to me that. But if you hear the Enneagram, like a description or a personality, personality profile described, and you're like, that's me. Like, that's me. They, they've like nailed me, right? And you feel like someone actually knows you and you have something to grow into and you're like discovering yourself in a new way. Maybe you heard that this morning. You're like, wow, one of those was me. And if that's you, we want to equip you. We want to help you grow in that gifting because there's a lot of work to do in this city, right? One day, COVID is going to be done, right? One day. Not sure. I don't have that future-oriented, you know, understanding of the date, none of that. But one day it's going to be done. And we are going to get on with hospitality. People are going to be in your homes again, legally, Right? Uh, people are going to be around your table. You're going to be able to hug people. You're going to be able to weep with people. You're going to be able to celebrate with people. You're going to be able to do all this stuff with people again. And the gospel work is going to move, right? And, and we feel like, ah, oh, it's so restricted. We have all these little gatherings now. It's so small. Nothing can happen. It's like Jesus might just be doing this incredible preparation work in our hearts right now for what he's going to do once COVID is actually done. You might have one of these gifts. The last reason why we talk about it is we're restructuring our church around these gifts. We, we now are one church in five different locations at this point. Um, we have local pastors overseeing each one of these, but we also have a regional APES team that's serving these local churches. And so APES leaders are going to help each one of the locations. So I just want to give you a few names of who some of these people are. They're going to be more added. And I also want to say these gifts are not just for men. They're also for women. There are women apostolic leaders, prophetic, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and we're just discovering who some of them are, 
right? So I'm not going to like put them out on the spot. I'll put some of our guys on the spot. That apostolic gifting, myself and Brian Stegner, like we've, we thrive in that realm. Trenton Walker, uh, he's very comfortable in that, that prophet role and hearing from God and equipping others to be able to, to do that. Jordan Weeks is, a, is an evangelist and helping people to create systems of evangelism. Uh, Brian Alton has created this counseling center and is equipping um, groups to be able to do counseling in community. So he's in that shepherd. And we have Mike Gockley, who's on sabbatical right now, and Andrew Fulford, who's overseeing our, our teaching. Andrew Fulford is one of the greatest gifts to our church. Um, a lot of people don't even know who he is, and uh, I work with him quite closely, and uh, he just writes like these doctrinal statements and responses, and I'm like, oh, I need this. He just cranks it out like brilliant theological mind who helps the church stay within orthodoxy, right? Absolutely amazing. Um, but the desire is, as we're planting more of these uh, locations and churches uh, around the Montreal region and around the world, really, is we need more of these gifts, so if you have these, these gifts, don't sit on them. Don't be like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not, not really, I, I, I don't think that's really for anyone. I don't know how I can be of benefit. We need these gifts and we want to figure out how to use them. If you read the book of Acts, Paul would, um, Paul would start a new work and then he'd call people into it, send new people. He'd move to a new city, bring people with him. That's what I envision happening in the Montreal region. Not that, I mean, the metro and public transportation is pretty nice, but I imagine that it's like, well, no longer am I going to be in Verdun because I'm going to be downtown. Like, we even have a real-life example. Valentina, who's going to lead music for us in a moment, lives in Verdun, part of the Verdun City Group, and I've asked her to contribute musically to downtown while we get started. So we're already practicing this of sharing different, uh, different gifts throughout our city for the good of the greater church. And if we're going to have movement happen, these five gifts are going to be activated and moving. So how do we, um, how do we wrap this up? Well, we believe that Jesus wants to saturate the city with the gospel. We believe that these, these gifts, these apest gifts, are, are one of the main ways to work toward that end. So what we're doing uh, by studying this is we're, we're, we're letting go of the claim of mine on this church. Like mine, downtown is mine, or Verdun is Valentina's, or like mine. That is not how, that's not how the church works. We're letting go of the mine on our congregation and say, Jesus, this church in Montreal is, is yours. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to participate in this? Are you willing to participate at that level? Are you, are you willing to, to move to a new part in the city or travel further so that the gospel could be able to lay, have, have a foundation laid in that new part or new work? How do you need to respond this morning? Maybe, maybe you're here, maybe you're with us on, online, and you don't know Jesus. You're like, I don't know anything about these spiritual gifts. You lost me at the beginning talking about Jesus in that way. Maybe you need to respond to him and submit to him and give your life to him. Maybe that's how we respond this morning. Saying, Jesus, I need you to rescue me from my rebellion against you. Would you forgive me? I want to be part of your mission in this world and I want to be part of your family. And he will bring you in. Like he's brought in hundreds of people in this city, this church. Maybe it's, you've, you're gifted, but you have one of those blind spots. And you just find out, man, I've been a prophet, but I've been really mean to people. 
I need to repent of that. I need to go to them and ask them for forgiveness. Or I've been an apostolic leader and I've just been using people to like make what I want to see happen, happen. I need to repent of that and realize people are, are people made in the image of God, not products to be maneuvered around. Maybe you need to repent of these things, which is turning from that and turning back to the way that Jesus actually wants you to live. Or maybe you're very proud and prideful this morning and you're saying like, I am unwilling I'm unwilling to respond. I know that's me, but I'm unwilling to respond in that way because I like the way life is right now for me. Maybe Jesus is saying, you need to respond to me by saying, not mine, but yours. Not mine, but yours. What do you want me to do? Not mine, but yours. What do you want me to do? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond together. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you gifted your church in this way. Thank you that these gifts are, are moving and active in your people. Thank you that you allow us to, to know about them. Would you help us to respond this morning? Regardless of, of whether it's with these five gifts, maybe it's a complete different issue that we've been holding on to, saying this is mine. Would you allow for us to let go of that and say, this is yours. You do what you want with me and with your church and with your resources. So help us to respond well. Help us to respond the way that you want for us to respond this morning. We love you and we need you. Amen.